chapter 4 if you have your Bibles. We'll have the words on the screen if you don't, and you can follow along there. I'm starting with verse 1 this morning. I'm calling this pay attention at water holes, all right? Pay attention at water holes. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, the parentheses says. So I'm going to show you a map, all right? This is a map of the Holy Land in New Testament times, and you can see Judea is circled, and Galilee, way up to the top of the map, is circled, and you see that red dotted line that would have been the normal way for a Jew to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, a journey that Jesus often made. He was itinerant as a preacher. It was his job going from place to place, from village to village, from town to town, sharing the good news. And so this was the usual trek. You can see Samaria's in the, in the middle between Judea and Galilee. Do you see that? And so they would walk around Samaria. They would avoid Samaria. If you touched a Samaritan, if you drank from the utensil of a Samaritan, you were unclean and you couldn't participate in congregational worship for a week. There were other risks as well, you know. Folks didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans if they were Jews. So they went around. But Jesus had to go through Samaria, it says. And you see the green arrow that points to Jacob's well, the place called Sychar. We have a picture of a well that's been identified as Jacob's well for almost 2,000 years. You can't move a well. You dig a hole, and if you've ever seen these wells in the Middle East, they are lined with rock, and they are, some of them, very deep. You look in them and flat, put a flashlight, and you think, how in the world did they hand dig such a hole? Well, they did. That's what they did. And Jacob dug wells. We know that from the Scripture. We know that he gave a plot of land to Joseph, and we know approximately where it was. And here is a hand-dug well that dates from that time. It is in a Greek Orthodox church now. There are pictures throughout church history of the woman at the well. I gave you one here, rendering from the 17th century, if you can show that to us. Sarah, that picture there, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. The story begins with this 
introduction that's a little bit clumsy, and people have been working on it for years. Different translations have approached it different ways. Back in the earlier uh, rendition of the New International Version, they had the Pharisees heard that Jesus was baptizing and uh, winning more people than John the Baptist. But in the New NIV and in practically all of the new translations, it's Jesus who, hear, who learns that the Pharisees heard. All right? So you got that? Jesus learns the Pharisees heard that he was reaching and baptizing more disciples than John. So here, here's going to be our task. We're going to watch Jesus as he talks to this woman and ask the question, how can I be more like him? How can I follow Jesus? How can I be his disciple as I watch him interacting with this woman? The conversation, the words, the mannerisms, how he approaches her, the questions he asks, the answers he gives. So I've got three suggestions for you. If you follow Jesus, you will be doing these things. And the first one is making disciples. If you follow Jesus, you will make disciples. That's simple enough, right? I mean, John's disciples said, everybody's going after him. That's in John chapter 3, right before this passage we've just read. They're all following Jesus. Well, John is a very popular, famous preacher in his day. He had many disciples himself, and they were lamenting that disciples were leaving John the Baptist and going to hear Jesus. And when John hears this, he says, I must decrease, and he must increase. He says in another place, I'm just an attendant to the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. So John's not upset, as some preachers might be, that his crowds are declining as people are making their way to Jesus. And as Jesus preaches, they are coming in repentance and faith to God, and they are being baptized by Peter and James and John and Andrew and those 12 apostles in the River Jordan. So if I follow Jesus, making disciples is going to be on my mind. Now, we've talked about this, okay? And we looked at the Great Commission where making disciples is a verb. We have made it into an English verb, but your spell check won't let you spell it. Discipling. Who are you discipling, we say now in the common vernacular, but it, it's misspelled according to Webster. You can't turn it into a gerund, this word disciple, but it actually is a verb in the Greek, in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and make disciples is a verb. Here it is a noun. Jesus is making, winning more disciples. You have the word disciple as a noun. Whether it's a verb in action or a noun, it's what Jesus came to do. And it was revolutionary in his day. His enemies said the whole world has gone after him. They feared that they would lose their power and influence because thousands of people were flocking to the meetings 
of Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know what you think of Jesus. Maybe you've come to this church service today undecided. And if we were to ask you, what do you think of Jesus? You, you might check undecided. Or maybe you're a faithful follower already. To be a disciple is to be a learner, a follower. When Jesus called the disciples, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So we are those who, when we heard the call of Christ, stood up and followed him. Sometimes we wonder, well, where's Jesus going? If I follow him, what does that mean? Monday morning when I show up at school or work. We're learning that right now in John chapter 4 with the story of the woman at the well. We are learning by introduction that always on his mind and heart was helping people understand the good news that God loves them. And that God has shown mercy toward them and that he has grace to extend to them and that their sins can be forgiven and they need to repent of their sin and come to, to God, and he alone can make them clean. So Jesus is speaking this word everywhere he goes, to everyone he meets. He is making disciples, and he's making them by the hundreds, and even by the thousands, people are following Jesus. I know people who think, well, you know, the Bible is a religious book, and it's written by people who are followers of Jesus, so you really can't depend on it. You know, what's the historical fact they want to know? The history says, both in artifacts and in text, both by the philosophers of the day and the politicians of the day, that Jesus of Nazareth lived, that he taught, that he was a popular teacher, and that he died on a cross, and his followers said he rose from the dead. All of that you can find outside of the Bible. There is no dispute, in fact, that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person who was crucified by Pontius Pilate. This book contains a faithful account of the work and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. And in our instance this morning, he encounters this woman. You say, well, how do we depend on the Gospel of John? You know how early the first scrap of the Gospel of John was, is dated? I mean, we actually have in hand this piece of manuscript from the Gospel of John that is dated, found in Alexandria, Egypt, in A.D. 124. I wish we were all aware of how astonishing it is that we have a piece of the New Testament book from which we just read that is almost 2,000 years old, all the way back almost to the first century. Jesus goes on a journey. He is making disciples. They are flocking to him. And if we follow him, we will be making disciples too. Another thing Jesus does is he makes the most of time and opportunity. 
He makes the most of his time. He's concerned about this woman. He maximizes his opportunity. The scripture says here that he had to go through Samaria. I've been thinking about this for years. Why did he have to go through Samaria? We just all saw the red dotted line where they went around Samaria on the other side of Jordan, on the east side of Jordan, that that was the usual trek. Why does he have to go through Samaria? Well, it's his job. My work, he says, is to do the will of him who sent me. That's what my work is. And he says, my father's at work to this very day, and I too am working. Do you ever travel with your work? How many of you travel with your work? Let me see your hands. I met a couple of, I shook hands with a couple of soldiers this morning. I know they travel with their work. So I actually travel some with my work. And I know that I'm going to sit on four different planes as I go to California in a few weeks. And I'll be sitting beside at least four different people, if not eight. All right? And I have very interesting conversations when I travel. We are a very mobile generation. And we travel a lot by car and by plane. And the trip I will make in just a little bit is something that 50 years ago you could not do. You couldn't go 1,500 miles and make a meeting and come back in two or three days. Jesus couldn't go from Jerusalem to Galilee in three or four days. It's walking everywhere they go. It's a five-day trip. What's he going to do on this travel? He's going to talk to people along the way. You get it? You who travel, business people, military, students who travel to distant places to do their education, retirees who get in their RVs and head out for all the national parks, you who go to the stores and, and have such a wonderful mobility, pay attention to what Jesus is doing on his journey he is talking to people who, by happenstance, we suppose, come near him. If we are following Jesus, we're going to put up our antennas, right? As we journey in our world, as we go from place to place, city to city, community to community, as we stand in line at drugstores and government agencies, as we go to places to pay our taxes. We need to have the eyes of Jesus for the people around us. Make the most of your time and travel if you're going to follow Jesus. Yeah, you can put your earphones on and nobody will talk to you on the plane. You can tune out everybody in your world if you want to. You can sit and stare at a screen and think you've got personal relationships in cyberspace. But we are the disciples of the Lord Jesus, and though we use 
all kind of technology. Hello, everybody watching on Facebook. We know that people matter to God, and they must matter to us. I remember sitting on a plane, and a young man sat down beside me. And here in a little bit, he looks over at me, and he says, what do you think of divorce? (laughs) Out of the blue. Guess what happened next? I had the opportunity to talk with him about Jesus the Savior who in the darkest and most difficult times of your life can give you a salve for your soul you can find nowhere else. There's living water to be had for the person caught in the middle of a divorce who is grieving the loss of a relationship they treasured at one time. Life has taken a turn and they don't know now what their purpose is. They've kind of lost a sense of direction. And Jesus is the one with a living water. Pay attention at water holes. When you're in a line somewhere waiting to order or check out, you're at a water hole. All right? They gathered at the wells in Jesus' day, as well as at the markets and other places. The Apostle Paul stood up in a marketplace and began to share the gospel. In the public places of the first century, the disciples had their conversations, joined in their meetings. We have the opportunity to do that as well, and we must if we're going to follow him. You know, we call ourselves disciples. We don't have to do that. But if we're going to be a disciple, we must follow Jesus. It's not like you have Multiple choice here. I'm a disciple, but today I'm not following Jesus. I'm going to do something else. Wait a minute. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus said at one point, and do not the things that I say? What's up with this? The call you have received from Jesus is a radical call that is to be the center of your heart and your life. It's a call to be his, lock, stock, and barrel, everything you have, every minute of your day, every step that you take. And you say, I just can't do that. You sound to me like the rich young ruler to whom Jesus said, you give it all away and come follow me and you'll have riches in heaven. And he went away sad. I can't do that. I don't want to lower the bar. I want to leave it right where Jesus had it when he called Peter, James, and John. This is what you do if you follow me. You give your life away. You set aside your own dreams for those that I will give you. I will be your father, mother, sister, brother. And if your family objects, you stay with me. We don't go to heaven on the family plan. We go one by one as we trust in Jesus. And for some of us, that will be a break with the family tradition. But that is as it should be if you're going to follow Jesus. We who follow Jesus, we make disciples. We make the most of our time and travel. And we make 
no excuses. Jesus is tired. He could have said, I'm going to sit by this well and acknowledge no one. I'm tired. I've been busy, been preaching to thousands. I'm going to sit right here and I'm going to tune out the world. And we do that. But Jesus doesn't. Tired as he was, he sits by that well. He's thirsty, but he has nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. So he's tired and he's thirsty. He could have, be, he could have been grouchy, huh? But he sees the woman. The detractors of Jesus complained when a woman came to anoint his feet. She was a woman of the streets. And they said, you should never let her touch you. If you knew what kind of woman she was, you would not allow her to touch you. And Jesus said to them, do you see this woman? See, they never saw her. They never saw the woman. They saw her reputation and turned away. They saw her life that was wayward and they turned away. They saw a woman they thought had little value and they turned away. They did not really see her. I think the astonishing thing for the woman at the well is that Jesus saw her. And there are women in this town who suffer from a broken reputation and a broken heart. And somebody who's following Jesus needs to see them. And let them know God loves you. And you have full dignity and worth as a human being made in his image. And he loves you with a reckless kind of love. And Jesus is about to put it all in the line with those teachers and rabbis who are already upset at him. He's going to initiate a conversation with this woman. He's going to ask her for a drink. He's going to interact with someone whom they consider unclean. And he sets aside all the warnings about foreign women and how they'll take your heart away from God. And instead, he speaks to this foreign woman, and he draws her to God himself. That's the way of Jesus. God's going to put you in touch with somebody who looks different from you, from a different culture, from a place, maybe a Yankee. Or a Democrat. <laughs> Or somebody of different color or somebody for whom English is a second language. And you're going to have this tendency to think, oh, I can't cross that line. I really wouldn't be able to relate. And it's your assignment from the Lord this week to actually reach out to somebody like that who's distant from you as a Samaritan woman was and see them and know they have the same need for Jesus 
as you had when you came to him. And you can be the conduit of God's love. Make no excuses. I met Heidi. She was a tall woman. She had two kids in tow. I saw her in church. She wanted to talk to me. I could see she was upset. I'd presented the gospel and the message. We pulled aside. I said, Heidi, God loves you. She said, it's hard to understand that. And she told me her story. When she was 12 years old, her parents pulled up to a dumpster in Las Vegas and said, Heidi, would you get out and wait for us here? So Heidi got out of the car and stood by that dumpster. And the last thing she remembers of her parents are the taillights disappearing in that strange city. As a 12-year-old, she experienced the abandonment by her parents that still was a scar and wound on her heart. And she lived in foster homes and bounced from place to place. And when I told Heidi God loved her, it was a message amazing for her to receive. You have yet to comprehend how much God loves you. You have yet to understand how deep and wide is his grace for you. You do not yet know what mercy he desires to pour into your heart and life Jesus of Nazareth was the word made flesh sent to help us understand this is the God who made you and now calls you to himself. And for every woman at the well and Heidi in the world, we would say, come to Jesus. And he will make you whole. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, God, we don't deserve this. We confess it, Lord. We know it's true. We don't deserve this grace. This love you extend to us. We, we know we're unworthy. Help us. Help us understand who you are, how deep your love is, how great your mercy, how wonderful your grace. Help us find in you the source of our strength, the forgiveness of our sin, the well that never runs dry. Amen. We have this time of response because people need to respond to the Word of God. And maybe that's you today. Stand with me, please. Jesus paid it all All to Him I Sin had left a crimson stain. He was.
about what God's doing in your life and just have someone pray with you we're, we're ready to do that we're going to receive our offering now it's part of the way we express our love for God part of the way we say to God I know everything I have is a gift from you and so I give you this gift today acknowledging who you are in my life let's pray together way yesterday and we just pray that more would be on the way heavenly father we pray that you would open our eyes and our heart to those in our community those around us that have needs we just pray that now you'd bless this offering to to help us meet those needs in our community these things we ask in your name amen
Good morning. I have two opportunities to tell you about from the men's ministry. The first of all is the Central Texas Men's Conference. It's at Camp Tejas in Giddings, Texas, and it will be January 24th to 26th. This is a great opportunity for men's discipleship. The second thing is a fishing weekend for fathers and sons. It will be at Lake Buchanan at the uh, Thunderbird Lodge. It will be February 21st through the 23rd. You can get information from both of these in a longer video on Facebook and at the sign-up table in the hospitality room. Thank you. Thank you. 